listener exclusive. Say that's not the case, we'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one cup. Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Cup, a summer edition. I'm Charlie Clawson and this is my club where I chat to well-known Aussies about the clubs they love and sometimes hate. And my guest this week is a Channel 9 news personality, Alicia Loxley. Alicia, welcome to the show. You've got your saint scarf on. So for (laughs) neutral listeners out there, this may be either the most indulgent podcast ever or the most (laughs) teeth-gnashing podcast ever, depending on your perspective. (laughs) It's good to surround yourself with like-minded individuals. (laughs) So um, we can really just, you know, connect over this podcast, Charlie, without, you know, love of the saints. I wasn't sure how much merch I should bring, but um, <laughs> You've got I've, got a, a, I've got a little there. bit. It's a bit hot for a beanie, but <laughs> I thought I'll bring, wow. uh, I, you know, there's a lot more inside, but I thought I'll just um, bring a couple of items. <laughs> well, it's funny. When my daughter was born, the club very kindly sent me a whole bunch of uh, like toddler merch. Mm. And my wife, who is not really interested in football, you know, she grew up in the UK and has sort of been on this journey with me for almost 20 years now is like, I don't know that I want you <laughs> raising our daughter. Yes. If she's going to go through the same anguish that you've been going through the entire time we've been together, I'm not sure I'm down with this. It's, it's quite a crucial <laughs> moment, isn't it? Like a decision that sort of has to be made. Do you allow these little people <laughs> who you've brought into the world to, to follow in your football supporter footsteps or mm. um, do you set them on a different path? I've been trying desperately to get all three of my kids to be saying, supporters and I think I've got one out of three but it's very fluid you know they sort of are influenced by kids at school next door neighbours my husband's a docker supporter so oh Oh, so there's no happiness in your household when it comes to football no particularly when Ross Lyon left that was a particularly tense time I remember where we were actually when that happened and my husband was quite happy about it I was not and there was a tense time in our marriage. We got through it though. And isn't that interesting? Swings around roundabouts and now <laughs> Ross is back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we should, uh, you know, for full transparency, Alicia and I uh, uh, co-hosted the uh, Trevor Barker Awards, the Saints Best and Fairest last year. And I've sort of uh, spoken a couple of times on different various mediums about that night. And I want to get your read on it because obviously with the benefit of hindsight, everything's twenty twenty. But I felt like there was something, there was a weird vibe in the room on the night. Like, I don't know if, like, I knew exactly what was going on, but I just sort of remember being like, oh, there's something. I've been to other club events, but this one felt like, I just put it down to the fact that it had been a disappointing season, that, you know, we'd been eight and three, and then, you know, the inverse of that. But did you sort of get a sense that there was some kind of like unhappiness at the club or there was some kind of movement happening? It's interesting because I interviewed. Simon Lethlian, the new CEO, on stage that night and we spoke about the review. Right. And, you know, I wouldn't say, I definitely didn't think that Brett Ratton was on the way out, particularly because he had obviously only just re-signed essentially a few months earlier. But I, I know what you mean, Andrew Bassett, the president, wasn't there and Look, there was definitely a feeling of like this is a bit of a reckoning. This is, you know, <laughs> That's like a perfect term for a reckoning. <laughs> yes, 
And I wasn't quite sure what that was going to look like, yeah. but I was really surprised actually. It definitely had a sort of sombre feeling mm. to the night as it, as it does when your football club doesn't perform the way that you would expect and, and you know, the executive felt that way as well. Mm. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to reflect on that night because a lot has happened since then. A lot. And <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we had Seb Ross on our afternoon news yesterday and because they're at their, you know, their regional community camp at the moment and he was talking about life under Ross Lyon and it's interesting. I mean, of, of course, they're all, you know, very positive and up and about and I think – you know, Brett Ratton was obviously very loved and it seems like the club didn't feel like maybe there was that sort of mm. hard enough edge to take the group to the next stage. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be very interesting. But you're right, like it it's, was there was a bit of a funny feeling that night and and now we know why. <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows? Like, I, again, like I said, it's with the benefit of hindsight that you sort of re-examine all those things. But I do remember sort of like peeking out from the curtains and looking at Brett, who was close to the stage, and going, God, this guy needs a holiday. Like, he looks like mm. it's just been a really, really tough year. And I had a brief chat to him. I've never spoken to him before. And he was telling me that they had plans to go away for a couple of weeks. And I was like, good man. Like, I think if anyone needs to sleep in and just like a bit of R&R. And you're right. Like, he was – you didn't never got the sense that he was disliked by anyone. It was just that he wasn't the guy that they wanted. It was like – you know, you could, it's like being in a relationship where – you know, 80, 90% of the relationship is great, but that 10% is missing and that's the 10% that stops you falling in love. And, well, I s- and the, the tricky thing is, I mean, who would be an AFL coach, right? Like, <sighs> and, and I think he was like universally loved and you can see why. I mean, I, um, you know, met him over the years at, you know, the Trevor Barker Award and um, and he's so lovely, approachable, you know, and I, I just think when the results aren't there, the coach is the one to go. And yeah. I think after showing so much promise, the club had not performed. And the classic, don't you think, Charlie? Like it's that classic St Kilda thing. You win the games you're not supposed to win. Yeah. You lose the games you're supposed to win easily. And if that keeps happening, then it's always the coach who goes. Yeah. And so for someone who I think is extremely talented, obviously a very good coach and a terrific person, I was really sad about mm. him being shown the door, but you know what? It's it, it's a tough business, and and Brett Ratton knows that, and you can just sort of hope that under Ross performances improve. Well, you can I can see it from both sides. Like the only mistake that was really made was the re-signing of him before the season was done. That's right. You know, and but I can I can understand why the club needed to do that. Because for stability, mm. and you know, it's, and it and it's and it's beyond just like what's happening on the field. It's also to attract sponsors. It's to kind of like let people know that the club is stable. Because if you have that kind of scuttlebutt happening around your club about your senior coach, it makes a lot of things difficult. And the halfway point of the year, like it, it was such a season of two halves. Like, and you know, like most Saints supporters, I'm the biggest skeptic, and I'm and I'm very hard to sort of win over, and I never allow myself to kind of believe. But there was points in the first half of the season last year where I was like, oh, this feels like a different side. Mm. Like there was a couple of games where we were, you know, down by three or four goals and we had the grit and determination to claw it back and we won these games. And I sort of started thinking to myself, maybe, you know, what Brett Ratton's been working on for the last three years is finally settling in. Like these players Mm. have a bit of resolve and... I remember, you know, like uh, just like things you regret. Uh, The halfway point of the year, you know, we're eight and three. 
I say to my wife, because we were planning an overseas trip, I was like, well, we might have to go after September because I want to <laughs> be around for finals. Uh, what an idiot. Like, I can't believe. I love your optimism. I love it. <laughs> I just was like, I was so certain of it. The way they were playing, you know, we'd beaten some good sides. You know, we, I think we'd just sort of beaten Geelong or at least a couple of weeks before. And I, it just sort of felt like we had some momentum. And I remember the boys on the Unplugged podcast had sort of said, oh, you can trust this club. Like, you can trust them now because of those mm. come from behind wins. Mm. And it turns out couldn't. We couldn't. And so you sort of understand, like, if, if they had re-signed him at that eight and three mark, no one would have batted an eyelid. That's right. But then it was sort of like we had those, you know, disappointing loss to Brisbane and then that disastrous loss to Essendon. And then there was a bit of a bounce back against Carlton and that was a really great win. And that's when they announced yeah. it after that. And I thought, oh, that's good, you know, because it's like, let's take advantage of the goodwill. But that was really the main mistake, if they had not re-signed him and they'd exited him, then, you know, I don't think there would be any hard feelings. You'd understand it more. Um, I was actually in Scotland when the news broke. I was in this tiny little border town of Scotland where my wife grew up visiting her family and, like, it was 4am or something when I got the alert. And it was so frustrating not having anyone... (laughs) to talk to about it. Like I'm literally in the home of St Kilda. St Kilda's an island off the coast of Scotland. But ironically, I couldn't find anyone to talk to about it. And my initial feelings was like, what are they doing? Like, what are they doing? And then I don't know about you, but the nostalgia of like the St Kilda, I'm calling this like, I know it's 150th year, but it's the nostalgia tour for 2023. Let's bring back all (laughs) halves and banger and, uh, sorry, uh, Lenny Hayes and BJ and stuff. And I'm kind of on board now because it's like, well, what else? What else have we got to get excited about? Well, that's the thing. And, you know, I think I was also pretty shocked because obviously Alistair Clarkson had been signed to North Melbourne and, there wasn't really an obvious senior coach with a lot of experience available. Yeah. And so I would have I, I probably would have understood that decision more if we were going to say, okay, we're gonna throw our hat in the ring for Alistair Clarkson. But when the decision was made and kind of the dust had settled with all of the other clubs looking for coaches, you know, and, and then obviously they started talking about Ross. And I just thought, are we really going back to Mm. you know, Ross Lyon. Seemed, it seemed desperate at first. It was like, what are we doing? Yeah, and, I mean, obviously I watched him, you know, having my husband as the Dockers supporter, co- closely watched him at the Dockers and he got so close to winning a premiership there as well. So he obviously has unfinished business, which is great. because It's a great slogan you know, for the year. Exactly. Um, and clearly, you know, those St Kilda players who have come back as well have unfinished business at the club and – you know, my initial fear was has the game passed Ross by, but mm. clearly um, he's still been heavily involved, you know, been involved in the media. And, look, there, there is something to be said for sort of stepping out of coaching for a while, watching the game outside of a coach's box, outside of that pressure cooker situation, and then hopefully coming back in and bringing different ideas. And, you know, we'll have an idea, I think, once obviously the season gets underway, but um, they're having a pretty tough pre-season, it sounds oh, like. So God, The injury um, curse. Just give us one pre-season. Oh, I know. We don't know. have injuries. We have no forward line. It's kind of, it, it's crazy. Just like, I, I, I sort of, I, I always say that I love pre-season because I love reading training reports because it's all just potential, you know, and you just, you know, some yeah. spy's gone to the ground and they're telling you who's like doing great time trials and stuff. But now I'm like, <laughs> I can't check the training because every time I open a training report, it's like oh, someone else has just hobbled off. It's going to be eight, you know, know. Ten to eight, eight to ten weeks. Yeah. 
Uh, did you think with Ross when he was in the media? Because I, um, you know, I only knew Ross as our, our coach and I sort of didn't really follow him much when he was at Frio. But then when he got into the media, I was just like blown away by how great and interesting a media performer he was. There was this podcast that he did with Damien Barrett and I feel like I'm the only person who, who heard it because I've talked to lots of people and no one really knows it. It was like a short run, I don't know, maybe five, maybe six episodes where it was just Damien Barrett getting stories from Ross. And he is like an amazing storyteller, sometimes not even anything to do with football. Like he just has a way with words and like his presentation is so, what's the word, like um, uh, disconcerting because he does not come across like, you know, he's kind of laconic in his like his speech patterns and his style. Mm. But then like these little pearls of wisdom or, you know, he can be really, really funny. And I actually was finding he was one of my favourite media commentators on like uh, classified and stuff. I used to love the yeah. way he looked at the game. So when people were kind of saying, oh, he's been four years out, the game might have passed him by, I'm like, well... Maybe it hasn't. Maybe this sort of separation where he can analyse the game, look at other teams now, like he doesn't have the pressure of just focusing on one team, has mm. given him some ideas. And I loved his press conference when, he, when they announced him, when they unveiled him. I actually thought that both him and Clarkson, in terms of, you know, coaches getting a second chance, and it's kind of crazy, you're talking about probably one of the greatest coaches of, of all time and a guy who got pretty close a few times is like, you know, mm. getting a second chance. But... I think they both spoke with such kind of um, experience and conviction. Like Ross sort of saying that he doesn't like the narrative around St Kilda and, you know, it actually he takes personal offence. Like that's what I think Saints fans we've been craving is, you know, we're passionate and we love this club and we want yeah. someone to bleed for it. Not to say Brett Ratton didn't, but he didn't express it in that way. Like Ross has quite a, a way of expressing himself where you – it it's very, feels very sincere and very intelligent and very insightful. So when he says, like, you know, it's not acceptable that we get talked about like this, I'm like, yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> Let's yeah. go, Ross. And I think you don't want to be beige, do you? Like you don't want to be one of those clubs that when teams are coming up against you, they're sort of, they're like, oh, we like St Kilda. <laughs> or, yeah, we, they, we're not a threat. We're not, they, yeah. We don't intimidate anyone. Yeah, and and that's that's a problem and you want to be one of those powerhouse clubs that there's a little bit of fear when another club comes up against you. And so, yeah. you know, we now have the longest drought and so there's always right. going to be... Let's be one something, the longest drought. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, don't forget the night premiership. Oh, yeah, I'll of course. Don't forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. Wizard Cup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, you, you just you want to be a club that other clubs don't like and mm. they don't like playing. And I think, you know, Ross obviously is like coached at Fremantle, which you wouldn't say that about Fremantle. They don't have that reputation. Yeah. And now he's back at St Kilda. And so I think, you know, he is trying to change that perception and I think that's that's a really good thing. And, you know, a lot of the players are new and have not, you know, played under Ross before. And so I think, yeah, it'll be really, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how this season plays out. Yeah. I, I, I kind of, I think a lot of Saints fans are maybe tempering their expectations. At first I was like, well, geez, you know, um, with Ross on board and all this experience, like who knows, we only finished just outside the final eight. Now the injuries, I'm like, oh boy, you know, we're really behind the eight ball. And I think it's more now what I, um, what I'm cognitively reframing is, 
when that when we had that sort of oh nine ten era, you just couldn't count them out. Like I all I often think about that game against Hawthorne and Tasmania in two thousand and nine when we we're coming to the finals. We knew we were going to finish in the top four, and so they rested like half the team, and we took on Hawthorne, who were charging towards the finals, who had like a full healthy list, and we beat them. And it was a, a real example of like system over personnel, you know. We had a great defensive system and buy-in from all the players. And so that's what I'm hoping we get, you know, with Ross Lyon coming in and, and these new assistants is like it's a system that all the players buy into that doesn't matter if we have personnel. Like maybe it won't take in this first year. Like, you know, Ross came in in, what, 2007? We made finals 2008, but we didn't really get to that kind of contending year until two years later. So that's kind of where I'm at. But at the same time, you always want to win. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you know what? So does everyone else. This is the problem. You yeah. sort of every supporter is focused on their club and and they're sort of at the start of the season tallying all the reasons why it's really our time and you know, which leads to a lot of disappointed footy fans out there. And so yeah. it's just, you know, so much has to go right, as we know. And everything can go right, like 2009 really, um, God. you know, and, and then even 2010, you just think so much went right and then right up until the last moment. And so, yeah, I turned 40 last year. No, not last year, the year before. I'm losing years. I'm 41 <laughs> now. When I turned 40, I sort of had this moment where I thought, oh, God, am I actually going to see St Kilda win a premiership? Like it was this sort of feeling of I feel like I'm halfway through my life, hopefully. And then I was like, oh, I just had never pondered the idea that I wouldn't. And then now I'm starting to get a bit nervous about the fact that I might not. (laughs) When Shane Warne passed away, like so tragically, and, you know, it was sad for so many reasons. But then it forced me to reflect on my own life and I'm like, he never saw a flag. And he was, you know, the biggest Saint supporter going around. <laughs> and, exactly. And exactly. I, I have a, the record from 1966, my dad, because my entire family are Saints. Like I don't know how it worked in your household, but there was no option in mine to barrack for another side. Um, and I still have that footy record. I've got it sealed in like my office here. And I look at this thing and I'm like, it, it, it's like this fabled thing that like, will it fix my life, <laughs> you know, like how has been a Saint supporter? <laughs> That's a big ask, Charlie. Well, will I talk- it fix my life? Well, <laughs> I talked to Emma Race a couple of years ago when I was doing this this same summer series, and she's a Hawks supporter. And I said, like, you're the opposite to me. Like, you know, you've you've been you've been spoiled for choice when it comes to flags. Like in your yeah. lifetime, you've seen eight flags, like eight. You know, that surely that. <laughs> contributes to your psychology and she said oh absolutely like I've always thought that anything's possible because my hawks you know (laughs) and so (laughs) conversely if you reverse that it's like well for us it's like nothing is possible (laughs) it all ends in tragedy (laughs) you know and like I think about those don't strive don't strive because yeah because it's just a toe poke or the bounce of a ball or you know Darren Jarman getting moved into the forward pocket it's just gonna really glass half empty isn't it it like really is But I, I, you know, I do this show with Will uh, Anderson normally and he's a, a Bulldog supporter and the whole point of starting this show was, 
you know, we both had one flag each and we thought, let's do a show about, you know, barracking for clubs that are perennially unsuccessful. And in the first year of doing the show, <laughs> the Bulldogs win their second flag and completely <laughs> torpedo the concept. Like, we just thought it was so, uh, like, outrageous. We'll never see a flag. It's in the theme song to our music. That it's like our, our clubs don't win flags and then they do it. And it's like, that's not fair. Like, when's no, my time? We should have done it. There was, there was this clever thing on Twitter that basically showed how many weeks your club had spent at the top of the ladder and obviously after, you know, 2009, 2010, you know, St Kilda has spent a lot of time at the top of the ladder and, you know, it had on there how many flags that your club <laughs> had won as a result. And I was just like, this is the problem with the window, isn't it? Because yeah. you know the window is there and if you don't nab one in that window, so it can be a really back. long time before you get back into that. And and that's the problem now, isn't it? Because we just feel like we're not really in that window yet. And, you know, yeah. Well, when, you, when it opens again, you just got to grab it. You get patient, you know, during a rebuild. You understand, like, you know, after 2013, 2014, you're like, okay, here we go. But it was just, it's just been like a decade of mediocrity that you're just like, <laughs> how, how could, how, like, how were we not improving? I don't understand. Like, there was. But that's a good metaphor for life. I feel like everyone <laughs> probably has a decade of mediocrity, maybe more, yeah. maybe longer. 150 I mean, years. Like. Yeah, I feel like I've had a decade of yeah, mediocre right. parenting, perhaps. You know, my eldest is nine, and I'm like, have I parented well? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that it gets better. Well, so, luckily for you, they don't hand out flags for parenting, so no one will. No, <laughs> I would not be. I'm not in the premiership window for a flag <laughs> for parenting. I can tell you that right now. And if I, if you asked Archie, our eldest, he would agree. Our three-year-old might say she often says, "You're the best, mum." Followed by, "I hate you." But um, <laughs> oh yeah, no. it's, a real, might... it's a real roller coaster with a three-nager. But um, yeah, I have know. a I have a three-nager as well. And the the last thing, my wife's been um, working quite hard, long hours the last couple of weeks. I've been doing a lot of bedtime. And the last thing she said to me Ouch. two nights ago was, I hate you. And then she fell asleep. <laughs> and with that, good night. Yeah, with that, good night. Uh, but as a same supporter, you can take it, right? Because we're used to it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, roll with the punches. So I, I part of my optimism, you know, uh, despite the, or, or, or as well as the Ross and, and, the, and the coaches, has been the drafting the last couple of years. Like I really... You know, I've been ambivalent about our drafts, you know, in the last decade or so, but I think the last two years, you know, Marcus Winterhanger, Mitch Owens from last year, and then the, the crop of young guys, I don't know about you, I, I had to sort of explain to my wife, I'm not watching videos of teenage boys running around. <laughs> like these are, this is like, you know, junior representative football. It's not just, it's, yeah. uh, it's research, it's research. Yeah, yeah. But I look at these kids that we've got, you know, uh, Filippo, Isaac Keeler, and I'm like, oh, I feel... Like there is something, I feel like we're getting it right. You know, we, I, I felt for a while we were drafting in the, I don't know if it's cons maybe conservatively, you know, we were sort of like, well, let's just kind of go for needs. And I, we were drafting a lot of like halfback flankers. I feel like we have mm. more halfbacks than, than you need. But now, we're, you know, we've gone for these, what would you call them? Like um, game changers. Like Filippo yeah. seems to have that kind of ability where, you know, he's, um, you know, this big left foot and he's a, like a tall midfielder. And then like Keeler's highlights, he looks like a young Paddy Ryder. You know, I know he's only mm. young and stuff. Does it excite you what you're seeing coming through the draft? Yeah, well, I think, you know, 
we're quick now, aren't we? That's mm. what you know, Ross Lyon has sort of identified early, saying that that's what he wants to build on. We're a really good running side. And I think, you know, what a terrific season Jack Sinclair had last year. Yeah. You know, and I think it's it's shown that going to the draft is a really good strategy. There was sort of a move towards drafting more experienced older players yeah, from other trading clubs. Trading them in, yeah. Yeah, and I just think other clubs have shown that if you are going – to the draft and you are doing that really well, then that is what is going to pay off in, in the long run. And so, yeah, I think I think it is exciting and it's not going to be sort of immediate when you have, you know, new players coming in, new coach, so we have to be a bit patient. Um, yeah. But I think if we can kick straight, <laughs> you know, yeah. if we can – build on a lot of these young players coming through and if they are quick and they're a good running side because that's the way the game's gone, then I think that, you know, all, all things are looking positive. And keep them healthy. That's the other thing too. That's right. Just yeah. keep them healthy. Exactly. I think, you know, like Dan McKenzie last year, I thought was such a revelation for us, you know, just that point of difference, like a very unheralded player. A lot of people outside of the Saints don't know who Dan McKenzie is. But, you know, he's got this combination of like toughness, and uh, 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 his athletic and versatility, and I just felt like he w- he was a point of difference on the wing. And because Jack Sinclair was now on half back, he could move up to the wing. And when he went down in that Brisbane game, we just could never get him right. And so part of my preseason like research is like, how is Dan McKenzie? Oh, he's still in the rehab group. Like we need to get Dan <laughs> McKenzie back. And I, I I went after the the best and fairest last year. I went to and had a drink with some of the guys after the game, and I met Dan, and. After talking to him for like five minutes, I was like, you do not sound like a footballer. <laughs> like he yeah. is such a really interesting, thoughtful kind of guy and his approach to kind of the game, you know, I actually think, I was like, oh, if you're at the club and you have some kind of influence, I think that's a good a good sign. Like I don't want to sound patronising, but he seemed like such a fine, upstanding young man. <laughs> I was yeah. very impressed with but him. But I think that's the same. You know, when you meet Max King, like he's very quiet. He's a like a lovely guy. Jack Steele is a really like wonderful leader, obviously, goes without saying at the club. And that's what's interesting, you know, when you sort of look at other clubs and, and you look at their leaders. Like I always think about Bob Murphy at the Western mm. Bulldogs and I think if you have someone like that at a club, the impact is just you can't really overstate the impact of having someone who is not just a footy head but has, yeah. you know, a, a well-rounded personality and other things going on outside of football. And I, I think that's really important. I think, you know, having, mentors. It's, yeah, it's, it's having leaders who are just also really good people, I yeah. think, matters at a football club. Well, my understanding is that that's what Mason Wood, that the function, the role he's serving, you know, off mm. field is they, his nickname is dad. Because like a lot of the younger players get billeted out to him and he's really good at kind of just like acclimatising them to the professional footballer lifestyle, life in Melbourne. And it's like that's a big responsibility and you want, you know, when Grant Thomas was at the club and this idea of kind of rotating captaincy, I know a lot of people poo-pooed it, but I completely buy into the philosophy of that, which is like, well, you should all aspire to be leaders. We should have multiple leaders. And I think at our worst points in the last few seasons, that's what we've lacked is Mm. like on-field leaders, people who are like, don't drop your heads, you know, we're still in this, like just getting them up, you know, week after week because 
you know, if you have a team full of introverts, and that's not necessarily that they have to be a gregarious personality, but just people who are sure of themselves. And like you say, I think interest outside of football mm. is really important because I imagine it would be incredibly draining in a real pressure cooker environment. So if you've got someone, you know, who's, who can, you know, get the, the younger players especially away and get them thinking about other things. I love to see them meditating. I love them doing the deep breathing before the goal kicking. <laughs> like I'm all for that. Yeah. Let's let more mindful footy players. Um, exactly. Just one last thing before I let you go. Uh, so uh, Simon Lethleen, uh at the time of recording this, there was an interview he did yesterday where he talked about wanting to own the Peninsula Corridor for St Kilda. Yeah. We want to be the Bayside Club. I... I'm all about that. I've thought this for years, you know, like most of my, I grew up Bayside, you know, most of my mates who go for the Saints uh, from here down to the Mornington Peninsula. When we went to Seaford, <laughs> I initially thought this is a genius move because <laughs> like we will, <laughs> we'll be the Geelong of kind of like the Mornington Peninsula. And then obviously that was a disaster. But I think, you know, Simon Leffling was not saying this is our only strategy. We have a, you know, a, a wider view of it. But I think this is a really great way to sort of make the club more of a destination club to kind of focus in on those players who've grown up on the peninsula because mm. it is it's it's not as pronounced as Geelong but there is definitely a kind of um, affection that people have from that area and definitely. there is a there's a community there what do you think about that yeah i think that's a great idea and i mean from a marketing point of view and from a membership based point of view you need to find a point of difference if you are one of the, you know, many clubs in Melbourne. Mm. And so, as you say, like Seaford, when you went down there, unfortunately that base was just in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> there was nothing nothing around it yeah. apart from, you the know, subway. residential houses and, and East Link, right? Yeah, and well, so, and no, don't forget there was a subway. That's where the players that, used to get their lunch. That, that was my favourite story. Is they, yeah. They'd gone from Church Street, Brighton to a, a subway in Seaford. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that's quite a... Quite, step down. quite a fall. <laughs> um, no offence to Subway, of course, um, if that's a sponsor of this podcast. Um, no. Love Subway? No. no. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I go for the Saints because my dad, he was a boarder at Caulfield and he lived with his uncle in St Kilda okay. during holidays and, you know, that was his sort of connection to the area and why he started going for the Saints and, you know, we grew up northeastern suburbs of Melbourne. But you've got to find your patch and you've got to pitch to that patch because people want to feel like they belong to a club. And I think if you're trying to recruit new members, if Bayside is that, which it is, that mm. natural area that we can claim, um, then we've got to attack that as, as much as possible, I reckon, because, you know, it's a bit like Hawthorne going down to Tasmania. Yeah. You know, we are still one of the clubs that's getting a fair bit of assistance from the AFL and mm. we've got to try and do as much as we can to, to boost that membership and to become, as we talked about earlier, one of those powerhouses that clubs fear when they come up against and, and I think membership is one way to do that. Well, you're talking me around, Alicia. Uh, <laughs> I know I said I was, I was going to let you go, but I do have one last thing. So um, the ranking system for two guys, one cup in the preseason is we ask you to place the Saints in either the top six of the competition, the middle six of the competition, or oh, the bottom six. For this coming season. For this coming season. Where do you see us finishing? Oh, so my heart obviously says the top six, oh, really? clearly. So I, I – um, I, Your heart's out of its mind. Last year I tipped tip St Kilda no matter what, okay. which was great when we played Carlton because my news director goes for Carlton. So I was the only person I think in the entire newsroom who tips and killed her. So yeah. I got – but foolishly, you know, it doesn't mean that I ever win the tipping competition. <laughs> um, but I think we'll be middle six. 
I yeah. reckon. We'll yeah. be middle six. I'll be really disappointed if we are bottom six, obviously. Um, but I think middle six and building. Yeah, I feel like it's maybe going to be a backward step this year. My my feeling is bottom six, but if we do make the finals, I think it'll be you know at the bottom end. I just I just think there's too much going against this. Like Max King is so hugely important to our structure. Um, and you know, they say he'll be back after a month, but like shoulder reconstructions are a real serious injury. You've, you've got to think about, you know, him actually working back into match fitness, but who knows? Maybe we uncover another gym. That's what I'm, that, uh, look, this is a, a classic example of Saints, You're back Saints at glass mentality. Half full now, yeah. Charlie. I like it. We've talked through it. Yeah, We've come you. through. How much do I owe you for this therapy the, session? We're on the upwards trajectory of the roller coaster yeah. and we don't know when it's going back down again but it's good to be it's good to be up here for a little while yeah i look forward to uh, catching up with you at the post grand final celebrations at Moran. yes exactly <laughs> thanks alicia <laughs> thanks charlie we are two guys one car. listener